Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Now, for those of you who are expecting me to bust the move right now, you're going to be sorely disappointed with this sermon. That much I can promise you today. You know, uh, Rebecca was the captain of the high school dance team in Fort Scott, Kansas. Uh, But unfortunately, she married me. And uh, as my grandpa says, I have the coordination of a drunken sailor. So uh, good morning, church. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, promise we don't do that every week. Maybe we should, might be more fun. But my name is Luke and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And we're in a series right now where we're walking through the life of a guy named David in the Old Testament. Today, we're gonna be in 2 Samuel chapter six, if you've got your Bibles. And in 2 Samuel chapter six, we're gonna see David today dance before the Lord. And the text says that David got undignified. Now I took Hebrew in college and I wasn't very good at it, but if my studies did not fail me, I believe the actual Hebrew word there for what David did, and it says that David got funky, okay? That's what we're gonna see today. Now, I promise there was a point to that video. We'll come back to it here a little bit later on. But as we've been preaching through and reading through the life of David together as a church this summer, hope you've enjoyed that as much as I have. But I wanna tell you about the thing that I admire about David's life the most. And here's the thing I admire about David the most. It's that David loved to draw near to God. David loved to draw near to God. Now listen, um, we've said that David is a man after God's own heart. We've read enough of David's life at this point that like, like we've seen his life as a train wreck. It's not perfect, but you can say what you want to about David. This guy just loves God. And I, I hope that somebody can say that about me someday. I hope somebody can say that about you, that you know what, Heather, say what you want about Heather, but she loves Jesus. And say what you want about Aaron, but man, that dude just loves God. David loved to draw near to God. And like Riley talked about, David loved to draw near to God so much that he wrote a bunch of these Psalms, these 150 prayers, these songs that are right smack in the middle of your Bible. And in fact, if you wanna be a person who draws near to God, I can't recommend it highly enough. I think you should pray a Psalm every single day. That's become the most foundational spiritual discipline of my life. It's like jet fuel for your prayer life. And in one of those Psalms, in Psalm 27, David writes this. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. Now pause right there. If you were writing that Psalm, how would you fill in the blank? Like one thing I'm asking God to do for me, one thing I'm after. If God said, I'm gonna grant you one request, one thing that you really, really want, what would be your one thing? How would you fill in the blank? Because David says, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm seeking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David loved to draw near to God. He was a man after God's own heart. And, and, and maybe you see that and you're thinking, okay, cool, well, good for David, but that ain't me. <laughs> like, I'm not a person after God's own heart. Like, you don't know what's in my heart. I am messed up. And if you're messed up this morning, join the club. We're glad you're here. We are a community of messed up people. But here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing about being a person after God's own heart is it's not about the heart you have. It's about the heart you're after. Because, man, we've seen enough of David's life to know that there's some messed up stuff in his heart too. But he's a man who's chasing after God's heart. So, so what are you after? 
And, and that, that was the core of David's life. He loved to draw near. And maybe though you hear this idea of drawing near to God and like praying the Psalms and you're thinking, okay, preacher. But like even this whole concept of the Psalms that David wrote, like is a little bit sketchy. You're telling me that God has written and given to us 150 songs, 150 prayers about how awesome he is that he wants us to pray back to him. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Can you imagine how well that would go if, if I did that? Like, let's just say this afternoon that I went home and I gave Rebecca a notebook. <laughs> and I said, hey, babe, I've got 150 love poems for you. And she'd say, oh, Luke, you did it again, you know? Uh, <laughs> I say, well, this time it's different, babe. This time, actually, these are all about me and they're about how awesome I am. And babe, I'd just really love it if you could read me one of these every single day and just tell me, <laughs> What a great husband I am. You can imagine how well that would go, right? And yet God does that for us because he actually knows it's what's best for us. Yes, of course, it's for his glory, but it's also for our good. Drawing near to God is the best thing for you. And we can even go to science to prove this. Research has found that physiologically, the best emotion for you to experience, that like the, the, the best and healthiest emotion for your body, the, the best emotion that has the most positive effects on your mental health, the best emotion, it isn't humor, it isn't amusement, it isn't love, it isn't anger, it isn't sadness. The healthiest emotion for you to experience is awe. Just for you to be in awe of God, for you to draw near to him. And, and David talks about that in another Psalm. In Psalm 16, David says it like this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now that's what all of us want, right? We want pleasures forevermore. All of us want fullness of joy, don't we? And where do we find it, David says? In God's presence. Drawing near to God is the best thing for you. And that's our dream for this church. Our dream is not just to get this church full of people. We wanna get people full of God. Because we want you to draw near to God. It's the best thing for you, I promise. I got the privilege this week of getting to go downtown to the State House and had a meeting with the Speaker of the Indiana State House of Representatives. And uh, there's some cool things going on in the legislature right now. They just passed this bill to uh, resource $100 million for mental health initiatives in our state, which is really cool. Yeah, praise God for that, absolutely. <clears throat> And, and the part that excites us most is they're like asking faith leaders and churches like how we can partner together because they believe the church has a, a role to play in this. And, and so we're getting in on some of these conversations and building relationships. There's just this really cool window right now where they're wanting the church to do what the church does best. And so we wanna seize that opportunity. And it was cool to get to talk with him and sit in his office this week. And the speaker said, he said, you know, um, all that is great. But when somebody asks me what they should do for their mental health, I just tell them they need to get their fanny in church. <laughs> Pretty cool to get to be led by people like that, isn't it? Because they know what we know, what David knows, that to draw near to God is the best thing for you, to draw near to him and to be with his people. Um, there's a spiritual teacher by the name of Henry Nowen, who's also an author, and he tells a story of a time when he went to visit Mother Teresa. Nowen writes this. He says, I was visiting Mother Teresa in Rome. Everyone wanted to talk to her, and I wanted to see her too. I went there, he says, as I had some problems. I had some personal struggles, quite a few actually. And I wanted to ask Mother Teresa how to deal with that. Now one says, I brought all my stuff to her. I talked for about 15 minutes. I just talked about all my problems. And then she looked at me and said, well, Father, 
if you spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong, you'll be fine. <laughs> Pretty good words to live by. Just like, don't do dumb stuff. Like, don't do things you know are bad, okay? And then spend an hour a day in adoration of your Lord. Just draw near to God. Be in God's presence. It's the best thing for you. If you just don't do dumb stuff and you draw near to God, you're gonna be just fine. And, and David knew that. And he knew drawing near to God was the best thing for us. And you might remember that before Jesus came, one of the primary ways that God's people would draw near to him was through the tabernacle. It was like this tent that was the visible representation of God's presence on earth. Now, of course, after Jesus came, now we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, God's presence. But before then, the tabernacle would be like a place they would go to, to pray or to make offerings or to make sacrifices for their sin. And inside this tent of the tabernacle, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. And inside that was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the laser-like presence of God dwelt most intensely on the earth. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, um, you already know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And if you haven't this, consider this your like Christianly homework to go watch that movie this afternoon, okay? Just because it's awesome. Um, but listen, uh, God's people knew, there's, there's all kinds of symbolism about this. You can go research it this afternoon. It's awesome. But the bottom line is God's people knew where the Ark was, God was. And where the Ark went, God's went. This was the symbol of God's presence on earth. Now the problem is that when David became the king of Israel, the ark was gone. Nowhere to be found. In fact, the ark had been stolen. This is outside the scope of our readings together this summer, but if you want the context, you can go back to 1 Samuel chapter four and you'll see that back when Saul was king, remember who was king before David, um, they like went to war against some of their enemies, the Philistines, but they didn't do it in a way that honored God. And so the Philistines actually defeated God's people, the Israelites, and the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. And, and listen, they heard the stories of what the God of this golden box could do. They, they heard about how he brought 10 plagues on Egypt and he parted the Red Sea and like he conquered the promised land for his people. And so they're thinking, cool, maybe if we take the Ark of the Covenant, now this God will be on our side. This will be like a good luck charm. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it inside the temple to one of their pagan gods called Dagon. And they set it by this statue, this idol statue of Dagon. And the Philistines, they come back the next day and their idol has fallen over right on his face. And they're thinking, well, that's weird. So they like put the statue back up. They come back the next day and sure enough, the idol has fallen down again, right next to the Ark of the Covenant. And this time the head and the arms of the idol have broken off. They're thinking, okay, this is not good. And, and then right around them and the city around them, people start to come down with this plague. They start to get all kinds of tumors. And so they're thinking, okay, maybe the ark is a bad luck charm instead of a good luck charm. So they send it to another town and another town. And you can go read this. Every town the ark of the covenant goes to, the people come down with this plague. And so they're thinking, okay, maybe this God's not on our side after all. They stamp that ark, return to sender. We're going to send this thing back to the Israelites where it belongs. And take a look at how they send it back to Israel. The Philistines said this. They said, now then, get a new cart ready. This all seems trivial, but remember it. You'll need it later on. With two cows that have calved and have never been yoked, hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. The Philistines did that. And then they said, take the ark of the Lord, put it on the cart and send it on its way. So they do that. They take the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on the cart, they're like, yeah, and the, and the cows just go off on their own. And miraculously, the, car, the cows like find their way back to Israel. Now imagine being the Israelites. 
when it's just middle of the day and like this random cart with two lone cows comes wandering in and there's the Ark of the Covenant on the cart. Like lo and behold, God is back with us. The Ark is here. Woohoo, our days of suffering are over. And so like the Israelites are throwing a party. They're celebrating. They're making all kinds of sacrifices. Yeah, God is back with us. Except all was not well in Israel. Because even at that party, if you read the text, it says 70 Israelites died because they opened the Ark of the Covenant and they looked inside. That's a big no-no. They should have known not to do that. They should have known God's law. Now, the Bible doesn't say if their faces melted like the Germans, you know, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It also doesn't say that they didn't. So just speculation, right? But the Israelites, they get pretty scared by this. They're a little gun shy. So they're saying, nah, we're actually not gonna bring this thing back. Like, let's have a little bit of distance because Saul was the king. And so look at what they did with the ark. It says they brought it to Abinadab's house over there on the hill and consecrated Eleazar and his son to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Let's, let's not bring the ark back. This is a little scary. Let's just send it over there because... King Saul was not a man who loved to draw near to God. So let's just stick the ark on some random hill and have some random dude watch over it. But David becomes king then, and so it's a new day in Israel. And David says, no, we're gonna, we're gonna turn the page. We're gonna be people who draw near to God. And if we're gonna do that, we gotta bring the ark of the covenant back. We gotta get it out of its mothballs and restore it to its rightful place as the center of our worship of the living God. And so here's our text for the day. Look at what they do in 2 Samuel chapter six. They're gonna draw near to God together. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000, And he and his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who's enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And so look at what they did. It says, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it and David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and cistrums and cymbals. And so they're like, woohoo, we're having a parade. We're bringing the ark of the covenant back. We're gonna be people who draw near to God. We're gonna restore God to his rightful place in the center of our nation. We're bringing the ark back. Yes, God is with us. Woo! And look what happens. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. It's one way to kill a party, isn't it? Like what? God, why the wet blanket on our parade? Like Lord, we're we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to draw near to you. We're bringing the ark back. We're we're trying to worship you, God. Why in the world would you strike this guy dead? Like all he did was reach out to keep keep the ark of the covenant from falling and you strike him dead? That's what David's thinking. It says, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. And look what David does. It says, then David was afraid of the Lord this day. And he said, no, 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 no. If that's how it's gonna be, I can't stay in this. God's like that. No, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Send it back away. I can't be near God. And let's be totally honest. That's kind of how we feel about this too, isn't it? 
Like David's just trying to draw near to God. They're celebrating. They're trying to do the right thing. And the oxen stumbled and the ark is about ready to fall off the cart. And so this guy, he's trying to help. And, and Uzzah, he just reaches out to keep the ark from falling on the ground. And God strikes him dead? Sure seems like the punishment outweighs the crime, doesn't it? In fact, if we were totally honest and we did a show of hands this morning, I bet 99% of us in the room would think the punishment outweighs the crime and the other 1% just aren't being totally honest. That's what David thought. But what David failed to factor in like he should have is that there's a danger in drawing near to God. There's a danger in drawing near to God. And there's danger in drawing near to God for two primary reasons. The first one is we tend to underestimate God's holiness. We tend to underestimate God's holiness. Like it would not be wrong for us to put out warning signs in front of the church instead of welcome signs. Warning signs that say, beware God. In fact, it might even be smarter for us to have the guests park at the back of the parking lot so they're safer rather than at the front of the parking lot. Beware God, because please remember that what you're doing here is dangerous. That this can be a dangerous place, because when we come to worship, we are opening up our hearts before the nuclear reactor of the blazing holiness of the living God. And that is not to be taken lightly. A long time ago, there was a writer by the name of Annie Dillard, and she says it like this. She says, why, why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? She says the churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. We come in here and we worship God and we mean these words when we sing them. We say, God, we want you here. God, we want to know you. God, we want to see your face. God, we want to be with you. God, you're welcome here. But man, read your Bible. When God actually shows up, if God actually came and we actually saw him face to face and beheld his glory, a bunch of us would probably die. When people come face to face with God, they fall down in terror. All throughout scripture, Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah sees just the hem of God's garment and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. I'm undone, I'm done for. There's a danger in drawing near to God because we tend to underestimate God's holiness. Now the flip side of that coin is that while we tend to underestimate God's holiness, we also tend to overestimate our own goodness. And none of us in here, we wouldn't claim to be perfect, right? We all, sure, we all know we've sinned. And yet, if we're totally honest with each other this morning, most of us probably think, yeah, but like, I am a nice person. I go to work, I don't hit my wife, I pay my taxes, I salute the flag, I give a little bit of money to charity. Like, I'm basically a good guy. And yet, if you read your Bible over and over and over again, it'll say, you're not as good as you think you are. And even just a little bit of sin makes you utterly contaminated through and through. And you can't come into God's presence with that gunk in your heart. For example, 
Um, I don't know what your grandpa has his master's degree in, but my grandpa has his master's degree in meat science, which I think is awesome. <laughs> and uh, he spent his career in food inspection. That's what he did in the army during the war. And then we got out of the army. He was a corporate exec for the Dial Corporation. And he was in charge of quality control, which means he was in charge of quality control for Vienna sausages. Blah, blah, blah. You know those little things? Yeah. Um, Take it from a guy who knows, by the way, after he retired, he's never eaten another one of those. So that's for free. That's just a tip, not part of the sermon, okay? But, but I've learned that based on some of the FDA food regulations, that let's just say some of the food we eat is not as pure as you think it is, okay? You ready to go on this journey with me? We're gonna get uncomfortable this morning. These are real FDA federal food purity guidelines, right? Apple butter. Does anybody like apple butter? Okay, very good, here we go. If there is a 12% or higher mold count, or if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, the FDA will pull it from its shelves. Now, remember, that means if it averages three rodent hairs, <laughs> it's going right on your English muffin, baby. <laughs> Enjoy your breakfast. Mushrooms, anybody like mushrooms on your pizza, right? Or on a nice steak, yeah, okay, I do, yeah. Mushrooms will not be sold if there is an average of 20 or more maggots per 15 grams of mushroom, but 19. Fig paste, nobody likes fig paste, right? We're safe on this one, nobody actually eats that? Okay, fig paste. It says if there are more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams of fig paste in each of two or more samples, the FDA will ruthlessly toss the whole batch. Now, notice, apparently insect bodies are okay, <laughs> but like we're fine with that, but it's the heads we're worried about, right? What in the world? Here we go, we say, we're, we're getting deep together, we're in it, okay? Coffee beans. I know. <laughs> this is gonna hit home. Prepare your hearts. <laughs> Coffee beans will be recalled if an average of 10% or more are insect infested or if a live insect is found in two or more immediate containers. It means one container's okay. <laughs> And every other container is okay. <laughs> but two in a row and then we're done, right? Okay. It's summertime. Hot dogs. I'm kidding. You don't even want to know. We're not going to go there together, okay? Now, I'm hoping you're with me and that we would all say, you know what? Like, even one maggot and I don't think I'm eating the mushrooms. Are we all on the same page about that? Okay. And that's how God thinks about sin even a little bit. And I think the whole batch is contaminated. And, and listen, which of us can stand before him? David says in Psalm 24, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one with clean hands and a pure heart, is that me? No, man, every single one of us, we've, we've found satisfaction and looked for contentment in things other than God. Every single one of us, we've known the right thing to do and we've chosen not to do it. We've said, no, God, I'm gonna do it my way, thanks. Every one of us, we've known the wrong thing to do and we've chosen to do it. 
And if you still don't believe me, like look in the mirror. You can't even live up to your own standards for yourself, much less God's standard for you. Man, I keep trying to have a perfect day and I ain't had one yet, right? And listen, I'm, I'm saying this in love to you this morning, but to think that you're selfish, deceitful, cowardly, lustful, greedy, envious, angry, bitter, petty little hard heart can stand in the presence of a holy God is like thinking that a Kleenex could survive on the surface of a sun. It's just not gonna work. There's danger in drawing near to God because we all tend to overestimate our own goodness and underestimate God's holiness. And so Uzzah died. And you may read that and you may think, well, God, like that doesn't make sense. Is God just having a bad day? Is he being hot tempered? Is he being rash and unpredictable? God's just throwing a tantrum or something. That's what David thought. But there was sin going on in this celebration. There was some rebellion, even in this parade for the Ark of the Covenant. And Uzzah was guilty of overestimating his own goodness and underestimating God's holiness. But how? Well, David should have known how. It was his job. God had given the people explicit instructions for how they were supposed to handle and carry the Ark of the Covenant. Way back in the book of Exodus, God was giving his people the instructions for how to build and transport the Ark. And here's what God said. God said, have them make an Ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits long, it's about four feet. A cubit and a half wide, about two feet. And a cubit and a half high. God says, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. That's what the ark is supposed to look like. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And then God says, insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. And it was David's job to know that and to follow that. God had told in his law that every king of Israel was actually supposed to handwrite a copy of the entire law. And they were to read that scripture every day, to know it, to live by it, to lead by it, to help keep God's faithful, God's people faithful to God's law. And David, it's great that he wants to draw near to God, but David draws near to God on his terms. And if you're gonna draw near to God, you have to draw near to God on God's terms. God says, David, don't, you gotta carry the ark on rings. God, I, I, I'm way too holy just to throw the ark of the covenant on some kind of ox cart. I'm way too holy for you to just reach out and touch my presence with your filthy hands. And yet David doesn't take his cues from God's word. Where does David take his cues from? Do you remember who carried the ark of the covenant on a cart? It was the Philistines. David is treating God the way the Philistines treated God. David is thinking about God the way the Philistines thought about God. As some kind of good luck charm to tote around. Instead of the presence of the almighty creator himself who's holy beyond our wildest imaginations. So listen, yes, I hope you are a person who draws near to God. But don't let the world tell you about who God is. Don't let the world tell you what God is like. 
Don't let the world tell you what God expects from you because they're wrong. And God has already laid it out right here, right clear. Because God will not be treated like your luggage. God will not be hauled around on your ox cart just because that's easier and more convenient for your agenda and who you want to be and where you want to go. He's already laid it out for us. And he's the king and he rightly deserves to be honored as the king. Yes, because it's his glory and he deserves all of it. But also because it's our good. Because drawing near to God on God's terms is ultimately what's best for us. If you've read C.S. Lewis's classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, then you'll remember that interaction when the four children first hear about Aslan, the lion. And if you haven't read that book to your kids or your grandkids, you totally should. And Susan, the girl, she asks, is he quite safe? She says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. They're talking to beavers. It'll make sense if you read the book. (laughs) Mrs. Beaver says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And listen, there's danger in drawing near to God because he's a king. And if you're here this morning, listen, yeah, every one of us is jacked up. We've ruined our lives beyond our ability to repair them. At the end of the day, you and I, our only hope, we are beggars at the door of God's mercy. And that means that if if this is a, a group of sinners, then there should be no safer place in the world than right here to drag all that junk into the light. We're gonna have the prayer team around the edges of the room at the end of the service. And and if you need to do that today, do it. Because it would be pastoral malpractice from this text for me not to warn you that if you're cherishing sin in your heart, if you're just waltzing into the presence of a holy God, if you have felt the tug and the conviction of his Holy Spirit and you have no intention of obeying him, if you are hiding then please, 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 for his glory and for your own good, drag it into the light today. Because cherishing sin in the presence of a holy God is deadly. But if you do, come before him in humility and you honor him as king, then God stands ready to bless you. Not to kill you, not to curse you, not to harm you. And, and we see that even in this text, that yes, he is a king and he is not safe, but he is so, so good. We just sang it. Look what happens with the ark. It says, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Like if this is what God does to people who come near to him, I don't want anything to do with it. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. So look what they did. It says, instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And so now King David was told, uh, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. In other words, hey, David, God's not just an angry jerk. Yeah, there's danger if you draw near to him on your terms, but if you do it on his terms and you honor him as king, then he stands ready to pour out his blessing on you. And I I love this story of Obed-Edom the Gittite. We don't know much about Obed-Edom. His name shows up a a few little places in the Old Testament. We can tell by his name, he's not an Israelite. 
He's not one of God's people. And yet he welcomes the ark into his home and he does it with honor and he treats God as king and God blesses him as a result. And Obed-Edom, can you imagine this? For three months, he has the ark of the covenant in his home. Like God was his house guest. And, and he experiences the blessing of being with God so deeply. And he, he comes to know the goodness of drawing near to God that eventually when the Ark of the Covenant is taken to Jerusalem, Obed-Edom goes with it. He says, I'm leaving, I'm leaving my house behind. I just want to go where God is. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, we see that for the rest of his life, Obed-Edom becomes a gatekeeper for the Ark of the Covenant. That it becomes the job of Obed-Edom, this guy who wasn't even one of God's people, to make sure that the people who are drawing near to God are doing it on God's terms so that they can experience the blessing that he discovered. And I love this. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 26, go, go look at this later on. There's a paragraph that just gives us some snippets about the descendants of Obed-Edom. And it says that God blessed his descendants, that his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren grew up to know and love and serve the Lord like he did. Man, I want that for my family, don't you? God blesses those who draw near to him. Now, we've been saying throughout this series that David was known as a man after God's own heart. So how can, how can we be people after God's own heart? Well, to David's credit, he sees that God blesses those who draw near to him on his terms. And David doesn't pull a King Saul. He doesn't just leave the ark away. He draws near to God yet again. And here's what happens. Second Samuel chapter six so said, so David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Let's try this again, David says. It says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, they got it right this time, had taken six steps he sacrificed the bull and a fattened calf. So like he's dotting his I's and crossing his T's. He's being careful. You can imagine like one, two, three, four, five, six. This seems like a good time to stop and make a sacrifice, you know? Like he's, being, he's, he's honoring God as king. And then look at what David does. It says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Now, some translations say that David was dancing naked. That's not true. He was wearing a linen ephod, which was basically just an undergarment, a very fine cloth. I'm wearing one right now. It's very comfortable, breathes nicely. I'm totally kidding. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> it says, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, take a look at what happens. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Now remember, Michael is David's wife, but she's also the daughter of King Saul. And it says, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said... How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in front of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Now pause right there. You remember what scripture tells us about King Saul? That he valued the opinions of people more than the opinions of God. And as so often happens, the faith of the parent becomes the faith of the child. And Michael cares more about what people think than what God thinks. What about you? But David goes on to say this to Michael. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. Mic drop. I will celebrate before the Lord, David says. 
I love this. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. David knows that, yeah, I may look silly to the people around me, but I know that God's the king and I know what he deserves and I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna draw near to God. And so here's my challenge for you today. Be a person who draws near to God and give him the worship he deserves. Not saying you have to dance up and down the aisle when we sing, but you can if you want to. (laughs) Not saying you should take your clothes off. Please, nobody wants to see that. (laughs) And and listen, I, I get it. We have all kinds of different personalities and life experiences and faith backgrounds in this room. It's gonna look different for everybody. But man, when we had a thousand people in here for VBS this week worshiping, I tell you what, those kids can sing and it gets loud. We measured the decibels. It was insane. My ears were bleeding. And man, when when the Congolese worship in this room this afternoon, I tell you what, if you wanna come, it's two hours and you better do your stretches before you get here because it's a cardio and you're gonna break a sweat, but it's awesome. And and it looks different for everybody. Like for some of you, man, if you grew up Restoration Movement, Churches of Christ, God bless your little Bible Belt heart that sometimes when the Holy Spirit falls on you and you're like really feeling it in the worship service, the best you can muster up is the little toe tap, right? (laughs) And and we've talked through this before. It looks different for everybody. But man, if you want to try it, you can just start with the little flap, you know? The mini, mini chicken dance, we call it, you know? And if you're, if you're ready to get the hands out of the pockets, you can do the carry my laundry and the hold my baby. And then you can do the measuring tape, the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, if it's really getting you in the heart. Then, man, if you're ready for other people to see you and know you're worshiping, if you're really feeling it, you can go full Lion King. You can get the teacher's attention. You can wax on. You can wax off. You can do the Rocky Balboa, the Jonathan Taylor touchdown. You can do all of it. Anything you want to do, it's all good. It'll look different for everybody. But whatever your style is, here's what I want to say. When you come in here, don't just bring your body. Bring your heart. Draw near to God. Because yes, he's everywhere. And he deserves our worship every single day of the week. And worship is so much more than singing. But he's also here. And he's the king and he deserves our worship. And I know that some of you are in a season of life where things are just hard right now. And the last thing you feel like doing is worshiping. Worship anyway. If you show me a marriage where the husband and wife only kiss when they feel like it, you know, like when they got the butterflies in their stomach or in their heat of passion, I'll show you a shallow marriage. Sometimes you just do it because it's the right thing to do. Worship anyway, because whether or not you feel it, God always deserves it. We're gonna throw the video back up on the screen here. This may sound crazy to you. And listen, worship may sound crazy. It's gonna look crazy to the people around you. David looked crazy dancing before the Lord, right? And he looked crazy to Michael because Michael couldn't hear the music. The dance only looks crazy if you can't hear the music. And dancing, it's silly and it's exhausting and it appears foolish if you're doing it in silence. But David heard the music. Napoleon looks crazy, this doesn't make sense, and maybe that's what worship feels like to you if your relationship with God feels formulaic and like it's just a checklist and you're just doing the things because you feel like you gotta do the things. Maybe you're not hearing the music. And so listen, my, my, my challenge to you today is just to listen to the music of the gospel. Listen to the music of the good news of what Jesus has done for you. I'm not just telling you to go dance, monkey. I'm saying listen to Jesus because he's playing a sweet, sweet song. He's playing a sweet song. So here's the music. The music is, you don't have to be scared today to draw near to God, even though he's holy. Because the son of God came and he embodied that holiness of God. And yet scripture says he also embodied our sin. And he took it all the way to the cross 
so that we could reach out and touch him without fear. And you can come today and draw near to God because Jesus took the death of Uzzah on our behalf. He was struck down so that we could be lifted up. He came near to us so that we could come near to him. He bore the weight of our sin and he took it to the cross and he died so that now those of us who are following him can listen to the sweet, sweet song, the music of his grace that we get to hear every single week. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the promise for you, as we listen to the music of the gospel, the promise, it's not just a hope, it's not just a guess, it's not just a wish, it's not just a chance, it's a promise. And it might be my favorite promise in all of scripture, James chapter four, verse eight. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And all God's people said, and so we're gonna draw near to God together. And he's a holy God but we can come close because of Jesus. And so I'm gonna give you a moment here to receive this bread on your own that represents the body of Jesus that was nailed to the tree for you and me. And as you do, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to imagine Uzzah stricken, struck down, laying there cold, dead, lifeless on the dirt. And know that that's what Jesus did for you receive it together and then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup God, your word has told us that this moment of communion when you are very near to us, it's dangerous. And that there were even some who didn't approach this moment rightly, that they were just still cherishing sin in their hearts and they suffered as a result. So God, we don't come to this lightly, but we, we do wanna draw near to you. And you know my heart, Lord, you know how often we overestimate our goodness and underestimate your holiness. And yet this moment reminds us every week of just the cost of our sin, how the wages of my sin was death. And yet you took that death upon yourself so that I could be close to you, thank you. And as we prepare now to receive this cup, the blood of your son Jesus that washes us clean, we are thankful that although the wages of our sin was death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to be close to you, God. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Hey, I don't know your story today, but I do know that God wants you to be close to him. He wants you to come near. And if you're cherishing sin in your heart, man, if you got some darkness that you need to bring into the light, we're here and we're ready, do it. The prayer team's gonna be gathered around the edges of the room right now. They love to talk with you. They'll have their green lanyards on. And every time you bring your darkness to Jesus, you are met by his grace. 
But even if you're just thinking, man, like I want to be a person who draws near to God and I'm trying, but I just don't know how and I don't feel him close, but I want to come to him. We would love to go there with you. We'd love to pray over you. And just to kind of crack the door, we've had some conversations about the prayer team, like, man, like, how can we make it easier for people to come and respond to the prayer team? And I know it's embarrassing. Maybe we'll change it up. But there's also a power in you being willing to to respond to the good news and you being willing to say, yeah, no matter what else anybody else thinks, I'm gonna move my body and I'm gonna go close to God in the confidence that when I do, he will come near to me. So if you need to do that today, let's do it. Let's stand and worship our King together. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.